Hi, this is Sophia from the Gray Stage Podcast. I'd like for all of you to know that the Justice for David Crowley and Family group is located on Facebook. In this group, we highly encourage our members to read all the documents that we have gathered for this case. You can find those documents up in the group files or on Greg Fernandez Jr.'s website titled thegraystagewordpress.com. Together we can work to find justice for David, Kamel, and little Ronnie. Merry Christmas. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Ross from Planet X Filmworks channel on YouTube and the Zodiac Files True Crime series. Check it out and shout out to Greg and the Gray Stage channel. Their content is amazing. Interested in the paranormal? Murder mysteries? Cryptocurrency and thought provoking interviews? Then check out Crypt Ricks I've Been Thinking on YouTube or every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Studio A at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Welcome to the Crypt. Live again. What a day. It is January 17, 2022. Seven years since David Crowley's death. I'm going to play a little bit of some of this here. Paranormal phone recordings. Never did get a chance to make a uh, video version of this one. So you know what? Let me play a little bit of this for you. Murder at 1051 Ramsdale Drive. What happened to David Crowley, his wife, and his daughter? If this was truly a double murder-suicide, why did investigators fail to prove David Crowley guilty? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed his wife and daughter? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed himself? Within 24 hours of finding the bodies of David, Kamel, and Rania Crowley, the Apple Valley Police Department were treating the incident as a double murder-suicide. Authorities cannot prove David wrote Allahu Akbar in his wife's blood on the living room wall. Authorities cannot prove David wrote I have loved you all with all of my heart on a laptop in the kitchen. Authorities cannot prove David wrote Open the Rise most recent version Submit to Allah Now on a notepad in his office bedroom. Authorities cannot prove the dog trapped inside the house ate David's right hand, both of Kamel's hands, and their daughter's right arm, since dog feces tests were never done. 
Authorities did not know about a bullet that rolled out of the living room carpet until they were notified by the cleaning company two days after the bodies were found. That bullet would later be tied to Rania Crowley. Authorities did not see the bullet hole in the living room ceiling or the bullet in the attic above until they questioned David's friend a month after the bodies were found. Authorities did not find a motive to support their accusations against David Crowley. Authorities did not find David's blood on any of the bullets at the crime scene. Authorities do not know when David Kamel and Rania Crowley died. What we know for sure is that David Crowley has not been proven guilty. Still very active. This is where you see the occult influence in the story, and you'll see almost nothing until it spikes. But then a hint, a hint starts to rise. But if the hint is rising, where does the hint come from? And have I planted it appropriately in the past? And able to see, like, when the bad guy is introduced, is there enough of the occult hint? So this is where David is talking about um, the 2013 script. And I know it's part of that. Uh, I'm going to play it also right here for you. It's just a two-minute, three-minute clip here. Whoops. Probably would be good if I had sound. You see the occult influence in the story, and you'll see all. Sorry, let's start that over. And this is where you see the occult influence in the story, and you'll see almost nothing until it spikes. But then a hint, a hint starts to rise. But if the hint is rising, where does the hint come from? And have I planted it appropriately in the past? And I'm able to see, like, when the bad guy is introduced, is there enough of the occult hint? Has it been properly set up in the inciting incident? So I can ultimately bring it from nowhere and create this emotionally charged climax that has, it's loaded with meaning that you didn't see coming. Okay, yeah, I've got um, to take out those end credit things because um, they suck. <laughs> and it, I'm sure it makes it hard because I want you to see the whole thing. So um, here's the other one, if you can stand it. If you can stand the rain, my friends. I have no sound on anything. Get out of here. Here we go. Really? All right. It's just for us. Uh, it's August 29th. Ronnie came home with a fever, and uh, you were connecting and playing. Yeah, we were painting nails and doors right here to her room. I was sitting on the floor and she was sitting facing me and I had my back towards her bed mm. and then the painting and then we both felt something come through the door. David never really got into a lot of details of what was going on with Kamel spiritually or what would actually take place. He would more propose questions of so if a um, some kind of uh, spiritual attack what would that look like? And then, you know, okay, cool. And then I, as I'm going back to painting my nails, I know where her voice is because I'm, I've been talking to her. So I'm a voice higher than that. So I just feel like the height was higher than where she was at the bed. No, you didn't like the song. I just froze. I'm like, Ronnie, did you say something? And I'm just quiet. And I 
look to see if she's awake or, or where it came from. She's like, what? No, I didn't say anything. I'm like, did you hear that? She's like, no, uh -huh. no, I didn't hear anything. And I came out and told you. Let's stop right there for a second. Um, <clears throat> and again, thank you all for joining me just kind of live a little bit here. Um, a few things that stuck out to me um, in this one. So, the, <laughs> you know, they always we always get these things about, well, this is, you know, the stuff that we're showing on my website. And let me just transition back to myself. Hey, beeps. Um, but we always get, you know, things, well, what we're showing on my website, what we're showing here is their personal stuff. It's this, it's that, it's blah, blah, blah. Here, here you have, David clearly says this was just meant for him and his wife. And this is used in Eric Nelson's film. Um, so it's okay for them to use this stuff and to try to make David look like a killer. But when we try to use the photos, the documents, the videos to show why he is innocent, you know, that's a whole nother, whole nother thing, apparently. So we can't have it, have it both ways, right? Once it's out there and once it's public, there shouldn't be anything wrong with it. There shouldn't be anything wrong with kind of going over this, re replaying this. Um, and then Danny August Mason, obviously. But there was another thing that I noticed here. Uh, in their house, you'll notice a lot of things that talk about love. Um, on the laptops, um, things that are written around. Uh, it's one of the main reasons why I chose the song, The Book of, of Love. I purposely chose that song um, for a kind of like a music element video. Oh, let me transition. Sorry, folks. So here, um, where you see this love in the background of Kamal here, um, this is very important because love is everywhere. Um, it's even written in um, dust in, in one area, I believe in David's office room, but it's written on their laptops. Everything is all about love, love, love here. It's just pretty interesting um, how many, the more that I look at this stuff, the more that I find love somewhere in the background or somewhere being placed like that. Even though we're told that they're all, they're all crazy and they wanted to go and kill themselves and kill their daughter and take her with them. And you can see this was from August, August 29th, 2014, when this was re recorded. Um, now, at that point, we don't really know that much. I mean, how, how often at that point was um, David Crowley talking with Danny Mason? So when Danny Mason makes this statement here, let's play that. Door. David never really got into a lot of details of what was going on with Kamel spiritually or what would actually take place. He would more propose questions of, so if a... Um, some kind of uh, spiritual attack. What would that look like? Now, it's it's pretty interesting. A lot of things there. Why David would, first of all, even bring that up to Danny Mason. Why it's focused on here. We know why it's focused on here, because they wanted to make her look crazy, too. But the timing, if this happens, this thing that we're watching here happened on August 20, 29th, by that point... I don't really think David and Danny. I don't. It's it's hard for me to believe that Danny that David Crowley would be confiding in um, Danny August Mason at that point. So some of the things, some of the videos, and then the clips that they play where Danny August Mason is talking, I think it's taken out of out of context. Hey, uh, hey, iconic meerkat. I keep I keep wanting to call you meerkat, but it's a meerkat. Iconic meerkat. How are you? Glad to see you. Glad to hear you. Um, thanks for joining in this live chat. My voice is still <clears throat> kind of, I'm still kind of struggling 
with this and testing out this new OBS software to see how I can transition from me and then transition back into the video that I want to show you all. So um, we'll see how all of, of that goes. So if my voice is, is a little raspy, uh, raspy, if I'm um, seem a little out of it, I am still getting over this cold. Uh, we did a great show yesterday and um, hopefully we'll come back here or on Catherine's channel. I know Catherine wants to do something and Sophia wants to do something. They want to go over the time, kind of the timeline of January 17th, which I think is a great idea. Um, Sophia has the bullet points. She has pretty much all that. I have what, I, what I've written in, in my book. So combined with that and combined with anything else Catherine wants to talk about, I think we'll have a pretty good show. So um, we'll see what time that we get started and on what channel. I don't know if we'll stream it here or if we'll stream it on Catherine's channel. Or, um, But we'll definitely figure all of that out too. So hope, er, hopefully everybody can come back for that <clears throat> where we talk about January 17th, 2015. But here with Danny August Mason with what he's saying does not line up with this date. I guess that's my long-winded way of trying to make that point. And then, of course, they're going to throw – I mean, if even if you look at when Kamel is talking about this stuff, look, I mean, look at her face. She does not look scared. She's almost intrigued by whatever is happening. Like, what? What is going on here? You know, it's not like that fearful, that scared thing that they want you to – to make it feel like um, that they really focus on later later on too, um, and that one could be different, and that is the one that is really hard for me to to translate. But here, she's talking about a voice that she just heard, and look, she's not she's not concerned, she's not like freaking out or anything. It's more of being intrigued by it, and then of course they have to throw in um, the cat lover Tom Lydon to get his. Want to know what I really think? Yeah. I also want to say that um, this is Sean, Sean Wright filming Tom Lydon there. And it's almost nice that I have these things. I will re remove these. I didn't realize they were still there. I want you to see the whole video, not these um, end credit videos. I hate that. I'll change that. Absolutely. Okay. I think people... Although it's kind of nice that I can't see Tom Lydon's face. I don't mind that either. lean on the supernatural when they can't understand things that they're experiencing and feeling. Just for that. See, that's kind of weird. He says, oh, they lean on the supernatural when they can't understand things that they're ex experiencing. Um, what is the, sup the supernatural? I mean, she's clearly making a, a statement there. He's not, he's not commenting on anything that she has really said. He's basically um, calling her a liar and saying that she's leaning on, because she doesn't under, un she doesn't understand what just happened? I mean, what the hell do you think just happened? She just heard th this voice talking with her, and it was not her daughter's voice. It was a deep voice. You can hear what she says there. Um, and let me go back to that. You know, it, you can hear exactly Joel what Tapp, she's what would talking. that look like? And then, you know, okay, cool. And then I, as I'm going back to painting my nails, I know where her voice is because I'm, I've been talking to her. So a voice higher than that. So I just feel like the height was higher than where she was at the bed. Knew you didn't like the song. I just froze. I'm like, Ryan, did you say something? And just quiet. And I look to see if she's awake or, or where it came from. She's like, 
what? No, I didn't say anything. I'm like, did you hear that? She's like, no, uh -huh. no, I didn't hear anything. And I came out, I wouldn't have told you. I mean, it's pretty, it's just like the way, <laughs> I don't know what Tom Lydon's point is in that. So um, the first one, um, <clears throat> the Colt Hint, where Dave is talking about that, then you have that one. And then we have this third one. Um, this is from October 30th. So the October 30th one is pretty interesting. There's two versions that I've heard of this too. I don't know if this is the long version or hopefully this is the longer version. Um because it goes through the recordings well anyways let's just let's just play it we'll figure it out i mean there's so much so much here um we'll go through it turn the mute off october 30th 2014 there was a journal entry it said camille got raptured today period she's still here it's um it was hard to hear when i first listened because some background noise in the room. I didn't realize there was anything on here. What is it? I just told you. I just told you. What is it? We've decided. sure the source from whence it came was real 
I don't know. I, 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 my skeptical side right now, my scientific side, my brain's questioning where it came from. It's like, oh, was it something to confuse us? Am I crazy? Yeah, notice how they, they always want to put that in there. Anything where they can try to make Kamel look crazy, to take some of the heat that they've created, that they've put on David, they want to now take some of that. I think the backlash was so big by these goons, by what they were saying about David Crowley. It was so big that they had to make Kamel kind of look crazy too. Um, that's what I think in anyways. I don't know what everybody's thoughts on that is, but... <clears throat> um, that last clip with Kamel, I mean, it was so hard. And, and this is the extended one because um, this what, what you saw in this um, three-minute clip, <clears throat> depending on what version that you've seen of A Gray State by Eric Nelson, it, that may vary. Um, but uh, glad I think Sophia, too, was the one who actually um, helped me understand that there were two different versions of it. And um, she helped me locate um, the, the longer version, which is out there, um, not on YouTube, but on other other places that you can find it. Um, so, but it was so hard to interpret. I, I, my, I tried to interpret this, and my interpretation of it is just not, I, I'm not, I'm not happy with it. Um, the article that I wrote here, um, we did do a paranormal phone recording show so we do have that if anybody wants to go and check that out that is a bonus show bonus show number 14 wherever you listen to the gray stage podcast you can go and listen to that and we kind of cover everything that we talk about here but for documentation purposes i tried to to document all of this stuff as we knew then but let's go back and talk a little bit about the uh, paranormal activity that Kamel was talking about on October 30th, 2014. When you listen to what she's saying and then you listen to David re recounting it, it, it almost feels like two separate stories there. Um, and then, but that's that could be just because it's so hard to hear, hear what Kamel is, is really saying there. Um, and it's interesting that David would go back and then document it. And it's even more interesting that he would not include any of that in his journal for that day or for the next day or anything like that, right? If you look at his journal, it's like they're not treating this as a very big, big deal. They're not seeing they're not seeing what maybe someone like me would see. Like, this is a huge deal, you guys. You know, there's something here. Something is talking, something is, you know. All this, if it's speaking through Kamel and all that. Here's the most crazy thing, though. Neighbors talked to Kamel the following day on October 30, 31st. Um, no issues. No problem there. So it, this is all, another thing that is not really relevant to the murder, you know, to, to what happened. Unless there's some paranormal thing. Unless there's, you know, some more of the paranormal act activity. But... Nobody is reporting that they're acting any any stranger, but the way that this film goes is they try to make it seem like this happened at the very end, and this is what caused them. But there's months where they're doing the regular thing, the regular family things. They're they're interacting with people. Nobody's saying that they have any. You know, they're not noticing anything weird from David from Kamel. But even the following day, I would expect you know maybe maybe they're going to hang out maybe they're going to stay inside that day but no there's and there's neighbors that speak with Kamel and she's happy and she's the same energetic person that she's always been and everything it's just 
it's so interesting um, the way that Eric Nelson just slanders both of them. And why? I mean, why? Like, like you have the power to make a great film, to make a great movie here, and you don't do it. You have all the tools necessary that anyone would ever need. And you fail because you want to fail, because you don't want to tell the, the truth about what happened here. You want to trick people. You want to give people a fictitious version of what happened. That's why the documents that they had assigned made sure that we could not sue people based on this. That's the documents they wanted me to, to sign. Things were taken out in those documents. Nobody cared. Nobody really noticed. Um, I have no interest in suing anybody, period. Um, but the fact that that was in there, I thought was kind of weird. And I talked to some family about that. Like, why, why did they put in this in here? They want that basically, if I sign this paper, they want me to say that I can't sue any, any, anybody. Well, um, it, I was told that was just standard Hollywood, typical thing. Took it out. <laughs> Nobody noticed it. It's all good. Um, what does it say below the bullet? Oh, it says bullet club. So this is the bullet club. Um, if you are a wrestling fan, you may know what this is, New Japan Pro Wrestling. But this is the original Bullet Club shirt here, so that's what it is. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a wrestling faction. So, um, appreciate the question. <laughs> wish I had a wish I had a, a Bullet Club beanie, but um, haven't gotten there yet. So, uh, yeah, hope that helps out. Bullet exchange. No, that would be cool. A bullet exchange. I didn't think of that. <laughs> the blue exchange logo is a little bit different, but uh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> I never, never thought about that connection. Um, so I tried to write as much, you know, because I love writing. Um, whether I'm good, whether I'm bad at it, that's a whole other issue. But let me transition back to um, to the article that I did write about this. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to use this article somewhere down the road. It may end up somewhere. You never know. But um, so and try to source, source everything as much as, as possible here. But, I mean, just looking at all that stuff, it was just so crazy um, how they tried to paint this whole section with David Crowley, with his, with his wife, when these things were being brought up. These are physical manifestations. These are things that they're... Not only, I mean, they only talk about the things that they're hearing here, but it's interesting that it just doesn't seem like David and his wife are taking it that seriously. It's not that big of a, of a deal. To me, it would be. It would be a huge deal Something like if something like that was happening. So it either tells me that this is something that they both dealt with. Uh, even when I talked with Kamel's sister, it was like they, she, she knew about Jen, and Jen is just another name for demons. Um, and... You know, it's it's taken seriously. So by Muslims, by Christians, um, by Jewish Jewish people, I'm pretty sure demons and things like that. It's taken very very seriously. Uh, I don't know why David and Kamel, um, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. It, it really seems like after this happened on October 30th, David and Kamel just keep moving forward, just keep pushing on, keep pushing forward. So that's pretty interesting. I thought. Um, then you see right as that last clip, it cuts out right before Joseph Seaton can, can talk there. And I wrote this article before I had the, uh, the day one journal. So before I knew a lot about, um, Joseph Seaton and <clears throat> how, you know, strained their relationship kind of was. And it's really weird 
in Eric Nelson's film, a lot of the people that are in it are part of this strained relationship that David has with these people. These are not his real friends. These are not people that he's really close with, you know, uh, and with and with Kamel, too, I would I would I would argue. Kamel's sister isn't even in it. What does that tell you guys? Kamel's mom isn't in it. Look at look at the scenes that David's dad is in. He's reading from a script. It, he would not need it. He doesn't need a, a script to tell you his thoughts. If you just want to get his thoughts and his things on it. I didn't need a script. I know he wouldn't need a script. That's his family. So take that for what it's worth. But they all, they really want to go after the spirituality, the, the, the occult hint section. And that's why they put this at the very end when they really shouldn't have. You know, it, I think it, I think it's it's a relevant thing to put in there, but not as relevant as okay. Why is there? You know, why couldn't they connect David to that gun? Why couldn't they connect David to the writings? Why couldn't they connect David to any bullets? That is the documentary that needs to be made. That is, those are the relevant points of this case, not the stuff that you see here. This is just the same old garbage gobbledygook that you would, you know, it's fictitious. It's speculative. And yet they say anyone who talks about any other theories, speculating, blah, blah, blah. That's all this documentary does. It speculates on so many different things and does not even cover the crime scene. This film should have been about the crime scene. Not about not a hit piece on David and his wife. The documentary really sets out to say that David and his wife killed themselves and killed their daughter because of some occult hint thing that is happening here. Now, Joseph Seaton. Um, it says, I moved back to Minneapolis in 2014 and linked back up with David. He was talking to me a lot about spiritualism. At that point, him and Kamel had converted in a sense. They were no longer talking about Christianity. They were talking about Ohm and the resonance of the universe and transcendental philosophy and connecting to higher levels of consciousness. And whenever that was, David tapped into it. Tapping into that stuff is pretty disturbing. Um, but it's also like, look at what this guy is saying. And who is this guy? And this is a guy David was disconnected himself with. And he shows up in the documentary. David was distancing himself from Sean Wright. Sean Wright is in the documentary. Mason Hendricks. Danny Mason. Adam Schambauer, he's David is distancing himself from all of these people that are key focused in the documentary. What does that tell you? All right. Um, yeah, so you can read that that article and kind of learn more about all of all of that if you'd like. Um, I think I will kind of move on from there, but. Just thought I'd kind of go over uh, the little paranormal aspects of it there. So um, what I'd like to do next here, while I still have time, 
me go through some of these videos and kind of briefly comment on them. But um, Sorry about that. So I've been working on this new series, <clears throat> excuse me, called the David Crowley Story. And um, play a few few of these here. We'll talk about them briefly, and then um, I'll probably, because of my voice, I'll probably need to jump off here at some point. Minnesota filmmaker and United States Army veteran David Crowley was accused of murdering his wife and daughter before taking his own life in December of 2014. The Apple Valley Police Department suspects the bodies were inside the Minnesota home for three weeks after they were found by neighbors on January 17, 2015. Within 24 hours of finding the bodies, authorities assume this was a double murder-suicide the culprit was deceased, and the public was not in any danger. Initially, authorities did not see a bullet hole in the living room ceiling or a bullet in the living room carpet. These were two of the most important items in the case, as they were tied to David Crowley and his daughter. I just want to stop there. I mean, that, this is what the documentary should have been focused on. This stuff right here. Two minutes right here. That's all they need. They had this stuff. They knew about this stuff. They could have used this stuff if they would have done some research, some basic research, or listened to us. This is what is some of the most relevant stuff in this case. Look at item 53. That is the one that was found on January 20th. It's a mixture of two or more people. The major DNA profile indicated as a female matches Rania. Major DNA profiles do not match David or Kamel. Uh, major DNA, uh, and it, I mean, this is really what it says. Major DNA profile will not be ex expected to occur more than once in any unrelated individuals in the world. David, Timothy Crowley, and Kamel Crowley are excluded from being contributors to the mixture. So where is this other mixture? What Two or more, there's other DNA here. There's someone else here that is responsible, that is tied, that is related to this bullet here. It's crazy. It's crazy, and, it, and that is found on January 20th. So, I mean, it, it could have been post-death. It could have been somebody that was in there from January 17th to January 20th, but how the hell do you miss a bullet that's in the carpet, that rolls out of the carpet? That's still another big deal for me. But things like this is what a documentary should cover, the stuff that we're talking about here. This is how I would start the documentary, just with better audio. <laughs> it was only after investigators were told of their existence that they returned to the crime scene on two separate occasions and retrieved two spent rounds. 
What did authorities find in the Crowley house that proved David Crowley murdered his wife and daughter and then killed himself? Without a motive, and with the absence of guilt, the case was closed with the status of exceptionally cleared. If David is truly guilty of this crime, then authorities should be forced to prove their theory. The Gray Stage exists solely because of the official conclusion, as stated on page 92 of the Apple Valley Police Reports PDF. With the conclusion of the review of digital devices, Detective Brian Bone reported on October 7, 2015, there is no other information available for further investigation. Throughout this investigation, the AVPD has not discovered any information or evidence that shows anybody but David is the perpetrator of these crimes, including the killing of his wife, child, and himself. So that was really important to make sure that people understand that, you know, there's no proof of David's, of David's guilt at all. Um, yeah, watching these end videos makes me want to just kill all those end videos out of this stuff. But uh, let's go to the next one then, because this one um, will kind of give a, a little bit of a background. Uh, this one is a little bit longer, but this kind of covers some of the background of David. But I, I wanted to make that two and a half minute one. Um, I wish I, again, I really wish I would have had some better audio. And I know I can get to better audio at some point, but... It's just like, you know, to give people um, who want, who are new to this case, and we're finding so many new people that are going into this case, and I want to make it easy for them to kind of get caught up on some of the things that um, are very relevant based on the, on the documents, right? Not based on what I think happened, based on what the documents say and why there's so many questions that are unanswered that have nothing to do with the government hit, nothing to do with you know some of the other uh theories that we may hear or that may be true let's focus on the document this is what i hope that a documentary would do so I, this is about 40 minutes here eric nelson's film is 93 minutes i mean come on we can find somebody who can take what i have here in these five short videos this is the documentary that needs to be made on david crowley on this case um, iconic meerkat says whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty. I, I mean, that's really it. We don't, why not? Like, why wouldn't someone, why would you not want to support innocent until proven guilty? Why would, you know, there be these people who, they all just happen to be the same people who end up in Eric Nelson's film. They're very forceful in wanting people to believe David Crowley is guilty for their own motives. Their motives are very different, right? As far as I can see, but um, it makes no sense to me if they are who they claim that they are. They're just people who want truth, et cetera, et cetera. Why would they be doing this? If you want the, the truth, we have the documents. We got them here. You, you have access to them. Mason Hendricks was taunting me with these documents. Once I got them and I read them, and I'm like, what are you seeing here that shows David Crowley is, is guilty? Where in this? I wrote a I wrote a 200-page book showing why David did not do this. Why 
there's there are so many questions that there is nothing in the documents or anything that proves David Crowley did this. I challenge anybody to write a book showing David Crowley being guilty. Please do. Then I may consider de debating. I may consider it, maybe. <laughs> but that would be the very first step. The first step is always the, the hardest step, too. But you have to be willing to take that step. If you're just going to run your mouth and blah, 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 nobody's going to pay attention to it. Do what I did. I laid out the evidence. Do what Sophia does. Do what Dan Hennon does. Do what Catherine does. Do what William does. Do what Crip Rick has been open to. Do what Stephen Sanziri's iconic meerkat. So many people. So many great people here. Uh, Ross. I mean, I could go on and on. Eric Spitfire Wilkinson. Jamie. Uh, Southern, Southern Truth. I mean, on and on and on. All the people looking at it and like, whoa, what the heck? Like, okay, what here proves David Crowley guilty here? So I, I challenge somebody to write it, write a book showing David Crowley guilty. Write a book. Uh, or else, please sit down. Let's go through this one. This is just a background. This is this um, for people who kind of want to know some of the background. And this is all the narrations from my book. So I can always redo this all later with better quality audio, audio, et cetera, et cetera. But I felt like a lot of this stuff needs to be out there for people who really want to understand this case. This is about um, nine and a half minutes. What do we know about David Crowley? David Crowley was accused of a double murder suicide. He was accused of murdering his wife his daughter, and then committing suicide. The bodies of David, Kamel, and Rania Crowley were found on January 17, 2015. Within 24 hours, David Crowley was being accused of a double murder-suicide. Those accusations are baseless. They were baseless then, and they are baseless now. What do we know about David Crowley? What do we know about Kamel Crowley? Kamel and her sister were born on a United States military base in Saudi Arabia. Once her father left his position with the U.S. military, Detective Jim Gummert reported, they returned to live in Pakistan where her mother and father were originally born. The Alam family stayed in Pakistan until Kamel was 17 years old and then moved to Texas. Kamel then met David while attending Baylor University, a private Christian university in Waco, Texas. David grew up in Owatonna, Minnesota. David and Mitch Heil became best friends in 2000 while attending Owatonna High School. In 2004, David and Mitch joined the United States Army together on June 22nd. David's place of entry into active duty is listed as Fort Snelling in Minnesota. According to Mitch Heil, both he and David were sent to Fort Banning in Georgia for Army basic training. After completing basic combat training, David was sent to Germany. David Crowley served in the United States Army for a total of five years, two months, and 22 days, beginning on January 22, 2004 and ending on September 13, 2009. 
three years, three months, and 15 days of service were listed under the Foreign Service section of his Release from Active Duty Form, DD Form 214. David's home of record at the time of entry into service was his dad's home in Owatonna, and he was released from service at Fort Hood Army Base in Texas. According to Mitchell Heil, Detective Tommy Booth reported, David was first deployed to Iraq. David was in Iraq from November 2, 2005 to November 11, 2006. While deployed in Iraq, Detective Booth continued, David had gone through a traumatic incident where an IED had blown up the Humvee that he was in. When the IED had blown up the Humvee, David had to save one of his teammates and lost several members of his team while over in Iraq. Islam is a religion of peace, David wrote in a Facebook group on February 7, 2007. But where's the peace in trying to kill anyone who isn't a Muslim? They are not about love, they're about victory. Is Allah insisting that a good Muslim should murder people who are different? They have been brought up in a place where sectarian violence is simply a way of life, and blindly follow their leaders into a violent religious frenzy. They fight for a God that is not behind what they do. But even more so, they fight for key political leaders who use the masses for their own ends, just as you guys are saying our government is doing to us. But if these statements are true, at least ours is geared towards peace and charity, not violence without end. Now that, that's from uh, David's Facebook group um, in 2016. And <clears throat> that is in one of the big BCA documents that we have. I believe it is in the is it, BCA one, BCA 488. I always get these mixed up, confused. Um, no, 488 is the one, is the second one that we got. BCA 485. A lot of interesting stuff here. So if you have not gone through this one, I know it's 485 pages. I did a video, like an hour-long video, that kind of covers this, that kind of runs through some of the more the basic things here. But there's a lot of great stuff inside here. If you have not read it, it is definitely worth reading. Um, it goes through a lot of stuff, but it also has, you'll, you'll notice, a lot of David's um, uh, Facebook stuff stuff that you probably can't find now that is probably taken off so if you're looking for david's facebook posts check out the bca 485 um you may find some stuff that you may not find any anywhere else now in including the thing that sean wright had taken out about his comment about his quote-unquote tax stuff they were looking at sean wright this document here shows they were looking at sean wright no doubt there um but the 2006 2007 stuff that david was posting in the in the group is very interesting um definitely worth reading and that's that's where i pulled that that clip from because he was going back and forth with with some people in that group um talking about muslims and etc cetera, etc cetera. and um but some of the stuff that he says about muslims obviously to it to a muslim um and i've been contacted by some muslims who are not very happy about it <laughs> and um but it's all there it's all there it's this is what david says and it doesn't mean that he hates muslims or hates them but he understands that they're not you know 
their God is not the same God. It's, it's not Jesus Christ. It's not the God that is in the Bible. It is a different God. And for some of them, it's not, they don't even worship that God, right? And Christians too, there, there can be Christians out there who claim that they're Christians that are not too. I'm not saying that, you know, it's any, any different, but, um, you know, to say David wasn't a Christian and things that they did with the whole Muslim thing, it's like there, I wouldn't say that there's a Muslim hatred on David's part, but those quotes that we just saw could be a motive for a backlash um, and, and could contribute to the, to the writing on that wall and why there's writing on that wall. Things, you know, submit to, to Allah, Allah U, U, U Akbar. I mean, what the heck? David is not going to write that. I mean, if you just read that, you can clearly see he's not going to write that there on his his room. Someone is going to write that to make him him look bad, almost as a warning, almost as a um, like what they would consider the final nail in in David's coffin. That's not just that's not consistent with anything that David says in those posts that that he's writing or anything. It is more consistent with motive for somebody who does not like David, um, who does not want him to stay on this world, in my view. Let's move on. David has been to at least 11 countries. Dude, I've killed people in service of my homeland, David wrote during a Facebook group discussion on February 6, 2007, and have been to more countries than you have fingers. As a soldier on the ground, David wrote in the group discussion on February 3, 2007, I have seen enormous resources put into the betterment of the general Iraq populace, be it school installations or medical functions or whatever. After David's tour in Iraq, he was sent to Texas, where he hoped to wait out his term of service and leave the army. That's when David met Kamel. Six weeks after they met, David and Kamel were married. The paperwork was filed on May 14, 2008, and the marriage was official eight days later on May 22, 2008. Instead of being allowed to leave the army, David was stop-lost in voluntary extension of service and shipped off to Afghanistan from June 26, 2008 to June 11, 2009. According to David's records, he was retained in service 449 days for the convenience of the government per 10 U.S.C. 12305. Kamel lived with her parents while David was in Afghanistan. Kamel Sorry, I just want to put this out there a little bit. Um, <clears throat> when we're talking about... Um, David and the people that he served with and everything. Um, I know it's it's not easy to look up the people that he served with and everything that happened. Uh, here's a, here's a good photo of some of those people there back in Germany. But um, there's been some tragedies, some very serious tragedies with people that David served with, and it's not just people that he served with i'm sure it's with a lot of people that served over overseas during that time during any i mean anything during 2000 2005 to 2011 maybe 2012 it's it's hell it's really hell but um a lot of those people have issues are struggling and i totally get it 
I know soldiers who served during that time that are struggling, that um, still have issues that you can't, they're, they're like scars. They have to wear those scars for the rest of their life. Um, but to just say that he had PTSD based on that and everything like is so irresponsible um, in my view. But if you ever have a chance, if you know any of these people to look up some of the people that David served with, there's, there's a lot of tragedy there and uh, a lot of uh, theories that I won't go into yet. Not just yet, but let's keep moving on. From June 26, 2008, <laughs> and 49 days for the convenience of the government. So this, this document, if you do want to find this document, this is on my website um, at the very bottom. David's, um, this is the only document, military document that, that, that we have, that I've seen here. But this pretty much shows you everything. So anyone who has seen a document like this will kind of can read it a little bit better. But it pretty much shows you, you know, when, when he started, what he did, the medals that he got, et cetera, et cetera, and when he left service. Um, so that gives you all of pretty much the background. Uh, this is what I wanted to see in Eric Nelson's film. Like there's so much stuff here and it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of glossed over a little bit, I think. Pretend USC 12305. Kamel lived with her parents while David was in Afghanistan. Kamel graduated from Baylor University with a degree of Bachelor of Science in Family and Consumer Sciences on May 15, 2009. Um, Baylor University is a Christian college, too. It, um, so it's like there's always been this thing about she was a Muslim, he was a Christian, et cetera, et cetera. But I never really put too much stock into that. And this is one more reason not to put a lot of stock into that is because she went to a Christian school. So though her parents were Muslim, uh, they went to... Um, Sorry, I don't know what the what you would call um, a Muslim temple. Sorry, I, I it's right off the tip of my tongue, but you know you know what I'm talking a a mosque. So they they did that, um, and but yet they still sent Kamel to a Christian college. Now there's many reasons, right? Maybe there wasn't. There's no Muslim college that she could go to. They could have sent her to just a regular state you know texas state or something like that too but the fact that they you know she went to baylor um is pretty interesting but um to me it's just, it's just pretty interesting that they you know they didn't have an issue with sending their daughter to a christian college i guess i'm going a long way to just say that two months after david was released from active service ronya crowley was born the daughter of David and Kamel came into the world at 6.38 p.m. on August 6, 2009. Rania weighed 5 pounds, 11 ounces, measuring 8 centimeters in length. David, Kamel, and Rania Crowley moved to Minnesota shortly after David left the military. David Crowley and Mitch Heil then enrolled in the Minnesota School of Business together in 2009. The two men also started two businesses in 2009, Hothead Productions and Bullet Exchange. My work with Hothead Productions, David wrote on his LinkedIn profile, included writer, director, post-production supervisor, composer, branding, marketing, client relations, pre-production, storyboard artist, visual effects artist, 
logo design animation, title animation, social media campaign manager, location shoots, camera operation, family headshot model event photographer, and website designer content manager. We also tackled professional photography, doing events, family headshot production, and model and fashion. Lots of graphic artwork in this arena as well. David also explained the origins of Bullet Exchange. My partner Mitch Heil and I began Bullet Exchange to service the Minneapolis film community's potential for realistically dressed and equipped military components in film. We provided authentic props and costuming services, as well as serving as prop master, armorer, range conjurer, stunt choreographer, actor trainer, and military consultant for concept and script. I also was in charge of the company's marketing, client relations, and media and branding. The Bullet Exchange remains the only resource in the Midwest for authentic police and military equipment rentals specifically tailored for film and theater. I mean, look at this stuff. Look at, I mean, this is, this is David with a MacBook Pro. <laughs> this is like, this is him working with what little he has. And not just David, but Mitch Heil too. And, and you know, in all the other people that are involved. But pretty much, it seems like it's pretty much David and, and Mitch. But look at what little equipment they have here back in 2011, 2010. And look at what they're able to do with it. So yeah, I could I could really see them being a big threat. It give them some Hollywood money, some Hollywood backing, some Hollywood technology. Those two guys could have been a very powerful force. Mitch and David, both soldiers. Um, Mitch will always have a Mitch Heil will always have a strong place with me. Even though I know he does not like me. Uh, he may not even know who I am. I don't know. I know he does not like people, certain people. But he has a very strong place with me in this. And he's a very credible person to me. Um, because he recognizes that David Crowley did not have PTSD. Mitch Heil stood up during a um, one of the screenings. I think the first screening in Minnesota at the Walker Center. And stood up when and let people know um, when Eric Nelson's film was being screened at the Walker Center in in Minnesota, and Mitch Howell let people know that David Crowley did not have PTSD. That's a pretty big big statement, you know. And and it's always hinted at. It's always kind of like another excuse of why David did, you know, why they think David did what they claimed that he did. But to have Mitch Howe do that, I, I I wish I could I wish he would talk more about that um, about the PTSD because there's real people that have PTSD. It, it's a it's a serious thing, right? We don't want it to be like coronavirus. Everybody, oh yeah, I've I've had coronavirus and they've only had a a flu, right? The flu can be more deadly than the coronavirus, 
well, you know, your mental issues could be more deadly than the PTSD trauma or the whatever, whatever trauma, whatever you've seen in these, these wars too. So I don't know. It was just a big statement that I always took very seriously that Mitch Howe is somebody that served with, that was a, a, a family friend, a childhood friend, a high school friend and a business partner after serving, after he and David Crowley both served this country. And here is the guy one of the only guys that um, was that close with David that says that he didn't have P PTSD. Um, Danny August Mason, during a interview with Ben Swan, would say, we all have PTSD at some point. It's just, it was very, that's another odd um, interview <laughs> that we haven't gotten to yet. But, um, I mean, just looking at some of this stuff that David and Mitch d have, have created here, they had a very bright future. Way back in 2011, I mean, the the Gray State um, trailer was not the only project that they were doing. They had a lot of other things going on too. If you go to their website or to their uh, to their YouTube channel, um, uh, Hothead Pro Productions, there's a lot of other things on there that aren't related to the 2012 Gray State trailer. Let's keep going. David volunteered at the Progeria Research Foundation as a language translator from October of 2009 until May of 2010. David assisted with translations of Western research documents to Urdu script for clinical use in Karachi. Kamel Crowley purchased a Springfield XD-40 caliber handgun, serial number US-163310, on July 25, 2009. The purchase was made via check in the amount of $508.76 at the gun zone in Dallas, Texas. The same gun was later sold by David Crowley on June 17, 2012 to someone named David Stark. On November 8, 2009, David and Kamel completed the permit to carry a handgun course with Eric D. Packizer. Mr. Packizer is a certified firearms instructor for Quorum Security, Inc. in Minnesota. Mr. Packiser was also featured in David Crowley's documentary, Gray State, The Rise. Yeah, so that one, so I'll just, um, just kind of stop that for now. But um, so you notice that one kind of ends uh, abruptly, but that's, you know, that's, kind of, I, I probably should have had some type of ending there to just kind of let people know, oh, the video's over, because <laughs> it kind of seems like it just cuts out. But that's why it's like these five videos and maybe a few other things that I might add, you know, um, to really create a nice, good, concise, short film about the David Crowley case. This is, these five videos would be exactly what I would want to make sure is included in this if nothing else. So, um, now we're always on the hunt for a documentary filmmaker that would like to take on this challenge um, to help us really make some type of, of film. And so we need to start looking at our local colleges, our local, you know, there's probably a college student out there right, right now who could take this project on and really do something with it and take it to that next level that I can't take it to, that it needs to be brought to. And we have, we've only touched 
12, 12 minutes of it here. We haven't even really gotten it. These next three videos are really, this is what you want. This is what Eric Nelson's film should have ended with here. These three videos that we're going to look at next. These are some of the most um, relevant things related to this case here, my friends. And again, thank you all for joining. Thank you all for watching. This is a holiday. I understand that. Um, I also understand this is uh, seven seven years here. We're at seven years, you know. Did they really expect us to not be here seven years later? Do they expect you to not be here seven years later? You're still here. I'm still here. We're still we're still pretty much gathering the evidence, looking at, at the evidence and echoing the evidence and making sure that people understand the evidence out there, right? So it's not just the fictitious narrative that David Crowley is, is guilty. There is another side. My friend Rick talks about the two different sides, and he was right in his interview with Dan Hannon. There's two different sides. There's people, there's, there is what the official theory says, what the police say, and then there is us who have shown why David is not guilty. So let's look at some of that. That's what these next three videos are going to, to cover here. Blood spatter in the living room was mostly on the ground, according to BCA crime scene team Joe Cooksley. A black Springfield XD-40 handgun, labeled as item 1A, with a rubber hoe grip sleeve, was found cocked on the living room floor, several inches from David's left hand, according to Detective Tommy Booth. Detective Brian Bone was more specific stating the gun was found approximately one foot to the south of the left side of David's body. According to the firearm worksheet, some apparent blood-like substance was found in the barrel of the gun. The worksheet also mentioned apparent rust-like material, which could have been found on one of three unspent cartridges in the gun. The presence of blood was found on the grip, item 1A-1 the slide, item 1A-2, the trigger, item 1A-3, and the muzzle, item 1A-4 of the gun. Item 1B is the magazine inside of the alleged murder weapon. Ridge detail blood found on the magazine was labeled as item 1B-1. Several blood mixtures were found on the gun, specifically on the trigger, item 1A-3 and the magazine, item 1B-1. DNA results show blood of two or more individuals on the trigger, with one of those individuals being David Crowley. The blood did not match Kamel, but Rania could not be excluded as a possible contributor. Two or more DNA profiles were found on the magazine. The major DNA profile on the magazine matched David Crowley. An estimated 99.9997% of the general population was excluded from being possible contributors, but Kamel and Rania could not be excluded. Two cartridges were removed from the magazine and labeled as item 1B1 and item 1B2. Item 1C is an unspent cartridge found in the chamber of the handgun. Latent prints were not found on these three items. 
Item 1D is listed as a bore patch from item 1, and item 1E is listed as test-fired specimens from item 1. Hairs and fibers found on the gun and magazine were labeled as item 1A-5 and item 1B-2. Latent print results revolved around two of three latent prints suitable for comparison, one found on the gun and one found on the magazine. LP1A-1 is a latent palm print on the gun. According to latent print results, no known palm prints for David Crowley were submitted or found in the BCA files for comparison to the palm print on the gun. LP1B-2 is a latent fingerprint found on the magazine. However, this too could not be tied to David Crowley due to the limited quality and quantity of information in latent print. Jennifer Kostrowski consulted with Dennis Randall about this latent fingerprint. He agreed, Kostrowski wrote, it could be one or two prints, plus that LMP was unusual. Coupled with low quality makes it difficult to determine. The crime scene team found a total of six empty spent cartridges, Detective Bone reported. The crime scene team also found three bullet fragments in the carpet. According to Detective Bone, the BCA crime scene team processed the scene in detail. After the scene was processed, Bone continued, we were able to move the rug that the bodies were found on. These results did not include item 53, which rolled out of a living room carpet on January 20th, nor did they include item 57, which was found in the attic above the living room ceiling. The results of the laboratory firearms determined that item 1, which is David's gun, fired items 2, 3, 9, 30, 36, and 37, which was six Smith & Wesson 40 caliber cartridge cases, and items 42, 43, 44, 45, 53, and 57, which were six bullets. Comparative examinations of item 31, a bullet fragment, against test-fired bullets from item 1 and item 57 were performed with the following results. Item 57 against item 31 showed the presence of matching features. This means that item 1 fired 31. Examinations of items 42, 43, 44, 45, 53, 57 showed them to be consistent with bullets from Winchester PXD-1 brand cartridges. Images of a test-fired cartridge case from item 1 were entered into the Minnesota Firearms Database. A search of the database failed to review any items that matched item 1. If for if future searches of the database reveal a potential match with item 1, your agency will be notified and further comparisons can be made. That's from the BCA 485 page document on page 31. So according to the BCA firearms report, item 57 against item 31 show the presence of matching features. This means item 1 fired item 31. And we'll get to more of that when we talk about in our next show, we'll talk about the cartridge casings and the cartridges and the unspent rounds 
and item 31, which is labeled as a bullet fragment. bullets. Based on the firearms report completed May 22, 2015, the gun, item 1A, fired six cartridge casings and six bullets. Item 2 is a cartridge casing found at the corner of the east edge of the carpet near the recliner. Item 3 is a cartridge casing found on the east side of the living room hardwood floor next to a short wooden stool. Item 9 is a cartridge casing found on the south side of the living room carpet. Item 30 is a cartridge casing found on the living room hardwood floor closest to the south wall. Item 36 is a cartridge casing found inches from David's left hand on the south end of the living room carpet. Item 37 is a cartridge casing found on the west side of the living room carpet next to the couch. The spent cartridges found on the west side of the living room carpet on January 17, 2015 are labeled as item 42, item 43, and item 44. All three spent cartridges were found close to the living room couch with hair on them. Test results for all three items showed a single source DNA profile matching Kamel while excluding Rania and David as possible contributors. Item 42 weighed 167.96 grams, contained a blood-like and hair-like substance with expanded damage to the nose of the spent cartridge. Item 43 weighed 179.56 grams and also had a blood-like substance but no hair. The nose of the spent cartridge was damaged and partially exposed. A blood-like substance was also observed on item 44. This spent cartridge weighed 130.24 grams, with its nose listed as damaged. Item 45 is a spent cartridge found in the south wall of the basement. This spent cartridge weighed 173.90 grams. The nose was listed as damaged and partially expanded. Holes were observed in both the area rug and the wood floor underneath the rug, Joe Cooksley reported. Chemical testing of the hole in the wood floor also failed to detect the presence of lead. This bullet traveled into the living room carpet, pierced through the hardwood floor, leaving behind bullet fragments, and then lodged itself into the south wall of the basement. A section of the drywall around the lodge bullet was cut in order to retrieve item 45. When the styrofoam behind the drywall was removed, a bullet was observed, according to Joe Cooksley. A DNA profile was not found on item 45. Additionally, Joe Cooksley discussed running trajectory tests on the spent cartridge with BCA specialist Chris Olson. He didn't feel it was necessary, Cooksley wrote in his notes. It should be noted here that two spent cartridges labeled as item 53 and 57 were found by accident on two separate occasions days and weeks after the bodies were removed from the house. The others. 
Item 31 is labeled as a bullet fragment found near the south edge of the living room carpet. Item 7 is the unspent round compressed into the living room carpet. Several thin hairs covered the live round. Strands of hair and pieces of flesh were found close to this bullet. DNA tests were never performed on item 7. According to BCA forensic scientist Rebecca L. Dien, BCA crime scene team Joe Cooksley indicated that analysis is not needed on item 7. Once the processing of the crime scene was completed between January 17th and 18th, investigators left the house with four spent cartridges instead of six. Of the four bullets recovered from the scene, only three had blood on them, only Kamel's blood. Authorities missed two bullets when they left the house on January 18th. Those two bullets will be covered in detail. On January 20, 2015, Biotech Emergency Services, the company hired to clean the crime scene, was in the process of removing items from the residence when a mushroom bullet, item 53, rolled out of the living room carpet. This spent cartridge has some white material on the surface, weighed 169.54 grams, and was found with an expanded nose. It should be noted according to Detective Bone, that the bullet was predominantly flat on the back and was sitting on the front mushroom portion of the bullet. The bullet appeared to be mostly intact at the time of our discovering it. Item 53-1 is a swabbing of item 53. Hairs found on the bullet were labeled as item 53-2. This bullet contained a blood mixture of two or more individuals with the major DNA profile matching Rania. Interestingly, David and Kamel were excluded from being contributors to the newly found bullet. Based on those results, authorities should have been looking for a second DNA profile. Unlike some other results, it is not stated that 99% of the general population can be excluded from contributing to the blood mixture of item 53. Since authorities did not discover the spin around on their own, we will never know where item 53 landed after allegedly killing Rania Crowley. What we know for sure is that item 53 rolled out of the living room carpet on January 20, 2015. What we still need to know is the source of the missing DNA profile or profiles associated with this bullet. Item 57 on February 17, 2015, investigators were notified about a bullet hole in the living room ceiling. Based on that information, authorities returned to the Crowley residence on February 18 and found a bullet, item 57, in the attic above the living room. The bullet weighed 180.18 grams and is the heaviest of all six spent rounds. Like item 45 and item 53, white material was also observed on this spent cartridge. The nose of the bullet was partially expanded. Characteristics of the hole, BCA crime scene lead Joe Cooksley wrote in his report, and its surrounding area indicated that a projectile was traveling generally west to east as it entered the ceiling and exited in the attic. After examining the bullet in the living room ceiling, Authorities found item 57 in the attic above the living room near the front door. There was no blood on this bullet, but the nuclear DNA profile matched David Crowley. 
the DNA profile did not match Kamel or Rania. An email exchange between BCA analyst Catherine Roach and Detective Tommy Boot stated that no one had been charged with committing a double murder-suicide. Good morning, Catherine, Detective Booth wrote on February 17, 2015, at 8.04 a.m. Nobody has been charged in this case, so I am giving you permission to use up some evidence in its entirety for DNA analysis. If you need anything else, please feel free to contact me. Thanks for all your hard work. Attempting to connect item 57 to the alleged murder weapon, authorities compared the bullet recovered to a bullet fragment found in the living room labeled as item 31. Originally, the bullet fragment labeled item 31 was not included in the firearms examinations. I spoke with Joe Cooksley, BC analyst Lisa Kinsella wrote on April 14, 2015 at 10.14 a.m. regarding item 31 labeled as bullet fragment or fragments. It isn't included in the FA assignment. We discussed that I will add item 31 to the FA assignment to document it and examine it for suitability comparative exams. The bullet fragment labeled item 31 weighed 19.14 grams. The fragment was noted to have a hair-like substance and a torn jacket. The fragment was compared to items 42, 44, 45, 53, and 57, but not to item 43. According to the BCA firearms report, item 57 against item 31 showed the presence of matching features. This means item 1 fired item 31. I'm not sure how that connects item 57 to the gun, but you can look at the laboratory results here. Since item 57 against item 31 showed the presence of matching features, this means that item 1 fired item 31. According to a report written by Detective Shane Klokonos, a MacBook Pro was located in the kitchen. The device was found to be powered on and active. After the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension had completed processing it for physical evidence, I turned the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth off. There was a text document on the desktop of this device titled Myth that had the words, I have loved you all with all of my heart. Later examination of this device showed this text document had last been saved on December 14, 2014 at 4.10 p.m. But an autosave version of this document, the open document, had been last saved on December 25, 2014 at 1.18 p.m. Texting on a different Apple MacBook found that text documents created then saved and open at a later time and had changes made to the document will be autosaved after 60 seconds of inactivity. This computer was kept in its awake state and transported to the ECU by Detective Olson for forensic examination.
The laptop, labeled as AV-8, was opened to a black screen on the kitchen island when authorities entered the house. The device was plugged into a power outlet just above the kitchen sink, and the screen was black. Love was written on the laptop cover. Blood and partial fingerprints were visible on the laptop surface and keyboard. Several bloodstains were visible on the kitchen island counter next to the laptop. When the laptop was swabbed for DNA purposes, the black screen awoke to reveal a text message reading, I have loved you all with all of my heart. I was not certain if this note was saved or otherwise date or time stamped, Detective Brian Bone reported. The note was not signed and was in the format of a typed note. Authorities assumed the message was written by David Crowley, but that assumption remains unproven. Three areas of Bloody Ridge detail were identified on the laptop and labeled as A, B, and C. Of the three areas, only area A was sufficient for latent print analysis. Item 54 is a CD of 25 NEF images of latent prints found on the laptop. A digital latent palm print of area A was then labeled as LP54-1. LP54-1 was searched in the Midwest Automated Fingerprint Identification Network database, and no suitable candidate was generated. Additionally, no known palm prints for David Timothy Crowley were submitted or found in the BCA files for comparison to LP54-1. Item 23 is blood swabbed on the surface of the laptop. DNA results tie the blood to Kamel while excluding David and Rania. According to Joe Cooksley, the Item 23 bloodstain was in close proximity to apparent bloody ridge detail. A chemical was used to enhance the ridge detail. The ridge detail was documented with photographs prior to and after the application of the enhancement chemical. Blood found on the A key of the laptop was swabbed and labeled as item 24. Though collected and itemized, the blood on the A key was not submitted for DNA testing. The blood wall. BCA crime scene team lead Joe Cooksley noted no latent prints observed on writing in blood on west living room wall. Item 11 is a swab of the blood writing on the living room wall. Specifically, this item is the second A in Alau. The blood pointed to a single source matching Kamel while excluding David and Rania. The writing appeared to be in blood, Detective Brian Bone wrote in his report, and written with somebody's hand and fingers, as you can see individual finger marks in the writing. Similarly, the B in Akbar was swabbed and labeled as item 12. However, item 12 was not tested for a DNA source, which is interesting since Joe Cooksley requested DNA analysis on both items 11 and 12. Item 40 is the pin found next to the notepad on the computer desk. Blood found on the grip of the pen was labeled as item 40-1. The pen was not one of the items submitted for nuclear DNA testing. 
the pin was not one of three latent prints suitable for comparison to David Crowley. So how do we know David used the pin to write on the notepad nearby? Item 41 is the notepad found on the computer desk in the office bedroom. Authorities found the notepad flipped open to page 30 of 59. On page 30 were two strange, unexplained sentences. The first was, open the rise most recent version. The second message was, submit to Allah now. Neither of these two messages were ever labeled as suicide notes by authorities. More importantly, who can prove David wrote the two messages? Bloody visual ridge detail was found on the following pages, 41A-30, back, 41A-31, front and back, 41A-31-30, 41A-31-1, 41A-32, front, 41A-33, front, 41A-34, front, possible RD, 41A-58, back. Items 41A-35, 41A-36, and 41A-37 had minimal apparent blood on the bottom edges. BCA analyst Jennifer Kostrowski's notes dated July 14, 2015 state she spoke with Joe Cooksley about which items should be processed for latent prints. Kostrowski was told it was sufficient to only process pages with RD in apparent blood. Other pages returned to item packaging, no LP processing on item 41. Results of the alternate light source examination were conclusive. Examinations of the front and back cover of the notebook, item 41, and the 59 pages that were originally within the notebook, items 41A-1 through 41A-59, failed to reveal any latent writing material. Item 41-1 is blood found on the front cover of the notepad. This could mean the notepad was closed before two messages on page 30 were written. The item was never tested. Item 41-2 is blood found on page 30 of the notepad. Two sentences were written on that page. Open the rise most recent version and submit to Allah now. The blood on this page contained a mixture of two or more individuals with the major DNA profile matching Kamal. David and Rania were excluded from being possible contributors to the blood tested on page 30. So who is the source of the other DNA profile or profiles? Regarding the latent print examinations, item 41A-30 is page 30 of the notepad. LP 41A-30-1 is a latent impression, finger slash palm, observed on page 30. Latent print results were inconclusive to Crowley due to the limited quality and quantity of information in the latent and known prints. Similarly, item 41A-31 is page 31 of 59. LP41A31-1 is a latent fingerprint on page 31, which was identified as David's left middle finger. This is the only conclusive connection between David and the notepad. Separately, two SDA lifts taken of impressions found on the front side of page 20 of the spiral notepad 
or examine and label as item 41A-20A. Item 41A-21A consisted of two ESDA lifts taken of impressions found on the front side of page 21 of the spiral notepad. Can we safely assume pages 20 and 21 were the only notepad pages with indented impressions? Handwriting comparisons between what was written on the notepad and the writings on the refrigerator door and checkbook in the kitchen never happened. Three pages labeled as 41A-39, 41A-40, and 41A-41 were warped from being wet from something. These are the three writings found inside of the Crowley home on January 17, 2015. Yep, and that's just some of the some of the questions. Um, iconic, I think you're bringing up some some great points there about it. Um, you know, it's really hard to to tie that gun <clears throat> to item fifty seven. Um, they obviously have a big big problem trying to tie um, the bullet item fifty seven to David Crowley's gun. Right, because there's no direct connection that I see in these reports here, um, and it should be somewhere, right? It should be, it should be here. BCA lab analysis. I mean, uh, the the documentary should also focus here. This is what it should be focused on. This is a documentary. This 40 pages here is a documentary. If you really care about David Crowley, if you really care about Kamel about the the daughter the innocent five-year-old daughter right I mean this is what you would want to focus on why aren't Sean Wright why aren't Mason Hendricks why aren't Danny August Mason any of these gray state goons these losers why aren't they focusing on that they're not focusing on anything here the evidence is all here all these losers have to do if they really care about this family it's focused right here. It's all right here. Gives you everything that you would need to understand that why David is innocent or guilty. It would all be right here. But no. These fakers, these phonies, these frauds don't want you to look at this. They don't want you to focus on this. They are completely 100% losers. Weak-minded, pathetic souls that need to repent before it's too late. And with Jesus Christ, it's never too late. But it's time. It's time to recognize you guys are wrong. David is not guilty. The documentary, the sloppy-mentary was a complete sham. And it's time. It's time to recognize what is really going on here what the real truth is. The truth is what we know. The truth that we know is that David is innocent. No doubt. Has not been proven guilty. Cannot be proven guilty. But if, if you can, write the book. Write that book. 
I'd love to see it. We'd all love to, to see it. That's what, that's what we've all been waiting for. That's what we've all wanted. So what proves David guilty? You don't got it because it doesn't exist. And yet these weak-minded fools want to continue on and act like he is guilty. It's crazy. Disgusting. Seven years later, really? They're going to have to live with that? Look themselves in the mirror and understand how fictitious such a theory is. To add Kamel to it, to add a path theory to it, disgusting behavior. All right, um, let's go ahead and I will play this next one and be back here in a couple minutes. On March 14, 2015, Detectives Brian Bone, Jim Gummert, and Sean McKnight met with Dan Crowley Sr., Kate Crowley, Dan Crowley Jr., Allison Crowley, and Sidra Alam at the Apple Valley Police Station. We presented the facts of the case to the family as of that date, Detective Bone reported. No details or information were withheld. All information was discussed and all questions were answered to the best of our abilities. The biggest problem is all of the information that the police didn't have at that time. Did they meet with the family after they had everything on October 7, 2015, when the case was ruled exceptionally cleared? Where was the resistance to the exceptionally cleared conclusion? All that stands between the baseless accusations and the people looking for answers is us. We're the only hope at getting to the truth now. Everyone else has failed to bring us the truth. Where is the truth movement here? Where are the Oath Keepers? Where are the Three Percenters? We Are Change? The Ron Paul Revolution? The next revolution will not be televised, probably because it has already been infiltrated by infies and gatekeepers and traitors. For years we have been told that we are the resistance, but what exactly are we resisting? Do we recognize tyranny when we see it? Do we still believe a man is innocent until proven guilty, whether he is dead or not? Our silence is compliance, and our vigilance is irrelevant if we avoid the simple truths. Case closed? I don't think so. Unless you can prove David Crowley guilty, this case will never be closed. It's time to choose a side. A long time ago, the Gray State trailer told you you need to stand now or kneel forever. Today I am reminding you to stand now for David Crowley and his family and keep standing or kneel forever and drown in a pool of shame. Those who panic and those who lie fade away first. Those who support getting justice for David, Kamel, and Rania Crowley will stand forever. Do not resist and truth persist. Do not stray into the night. Stand in the light. You have nothing to fear when you keep Jesus Christ near.
why would anybody rule this case exceptionally clear? And yet on October 7, 2015, that's exactly what the Apple Valley Police Department did. With everything that they had, knowing all that they knew, and they still closed the case and tried to lead everyone to think that David Crowley was a murderer, a child killer, a domestic abuser, someone who snapped and went crazy. One of the biggest questions that I get all the time, well, if David didn't do it, then who did? It's a fair question. I would also answer that with a question, I guess. If David did it, where's the evidence? Is one question more valid than the other? I believe so. I don't believe we have to prove somebody else did this to prove David Crowley didn't do this. I think they're two separate questions, both very important, both questions that need to be answered. But if we cannot answer the first question, which is what proves David Crowley guilty, then we have to understand that that means he's not guilty. And yes, that means someone else is. But are we to believe that if we can't find who the real killer or killers are here, then we just accept the accusations against David Crowley? That doesn't seem right to me. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem logical, in the words of Spock. It doesn't seem rational. It's definitely not the way that this country is supposed to work. If we're innocent until proven guilty, then we need to respect that. Law enforcement needs to respect that and to enforce that. It's a big responsibility to accuse somebody and not be able to back it up. What is it based on? What are the accusations against David Crowley based on? In the beginning, just like with David and Kamel's family, you know, they probably were told everything that the police knew up until that point, up until March 14, 2015. But let's take a look at what they knew. What did police know on March 14, 2015? What could they have told David and Kamel's family at that point? Knowing that they were still waiting for the autopsy reports. They were still waiting for the BCA lab results. They were still waiting for David's Dropbox in information. It wasn't even until March 24th, 2015, that Detective Brian Bone received a copy of those autopsy reports. As of April 17th, 2015, Detective Bone also reported, I, I have still not received results from the BCA regarding fingerprints, and I have not heard from Dropbox. On April 24th, Detective Bona received and began to review the contents of David Dropbox accounts. You want to take a guess what he found? I'll let you figure that one out. 
It wasn't until May 5th, 2015, that all of the Dropbox files had been gone through. Guess what evidence they found to prove David Crowley guilty? This is closing the case? They didn't receive the firearms report until June 2nd, 2015. The bloody latent print tests on the alleged murder weapon were inconclusive when they got the result back on August 5th, 2015. They went through all of the electronics. The Dakota County Electronic Crime Scene Task Force reviewed all electronic items. Guess what they found? Yet, with that conclusion of not finding anything, they just say David is guilty. Here's what Detective Bone says. Throughout this investigation, the ABPD has not discovered any information or evidence that shows anybody but David Crowley is the perpetrator of these crimes, including the killing of his wife, child, and himself. Listen to that statement. Reread that statement. Throughout this investigation, the ABPD has not discovered any information or evidence that shows anybody but David Crowley is the perpetrator of these crimes, including the killing of his wife, child, and himself. So you would expect to find maybe a list of things that the Apple Valley Police can say prove David Crowley is guilty. You would expect to see that when Tom Lydon talks to, to them. You, you would expect to see a final summary saying this is based on this ABCDEFG this is why David Crowley is guilty. What they're really saying is because we couldn't find ABCDEFG and because we couldn't find ABCDEFG for anybody else, David Crowley is guilty. You see how twisted that sounds? See how dumb they think we are? You see how easily some people can be tricked, can be fooled, can be led blindly to believe something that is not true it's very easy when you look at this case it can happen to all of us but if it happened to you it's time to rethink your view on david crowley to rethink your view on this case choose a side and choose wisely there will come a day when people who don't understand now will understand that David Crowley has not been proven guilty and cannot be proven guilty. If the only rebuttal is that we've been unable to prove anybody else guilty, that's an argument made by a very weak person. A strong-minded person, a wise person would not make such an argument. A strong-minded person and a wise person would recognize if there's nothing to prove David Crowley guilty, then he's innocent. And yes, that's why many people have been looking for who did this and why. 
and why all of the other weird stuff surrounding it afterwards. But it all boils down to the same thing. Innocent until proven guilty. Then you start looking at how quickly people were accusing David. Even after looking at all of this information, lines that have not chosen a side yet, but it's time. It is really time to choose a side. Stand with us or cower forever. And we'll wait. Alright, wrapping this up here, let's talk a little bit about the term exceptionally cleared. It does not mean guilty. It really doesn't. If it did, we would have a lot more. Exceptionally cleared. Now, I contacted the Apple Valley Police Department to find out what it exceptionally cleared meant and got the following response. Exceptionally cleared indicates the case is satisfactory concluded and prosecution of the suspect or suspects is not being sought. These cases may have been referred to another agency for follow-up. Victim may have withdrawn complaint, parents to handle discipline, or a verbal warning issued in minor offenses. I also ask, would this include if a suspect is deceased? Likely, yes. Are you confused yet? Are things becoming a little more clear? <laughs> in the midst of the, that confusion. Think about that. Think about where we are, why we're here, and it how it really doesn't take much effort to keep understanding, to keep, to keep on this case, and to keep reminding people and letting new people know there's nothing to prove David guilty. He is innocent. Who can declare that he's not? Who can prove that he's not? The burden of proof is there. <laughs> I mean, that's where it needs to be. If you're going to accuse David Crowley, you have to be able to back it up. Or you just look foolish. And you have shown your hand. You've shown your true colors. Unless you're scared. Unless you're scared of something or somebody or some power doesn't make sense to me why you would assume David Crowley is guilty and stick to it enjoy the silence I suppose I don't know how you could enjoy it sometimes to look outward we have to look inward we have to look within ourselves with a case like this, you do have to look within yourself. What type of a person do you want to be? What type of a human do you want to be? If you want to be a good person, if you want to be a decent person, an honest person, a truthful person, here is a litmus test. Here is something that is really simple to, di to digest, to dig into. We've made it very simple. It's one question, two questions. One, is David Crowley guilty? Two, who did this? 
the two go hand in hand definitely but you know you don't have to answer one to answer the other but being wise thinking logically thinking rationally you do want to start with the accusations against David Crowley so the police are concluding by saying that because we couldn't find any evidence that anybody else did this David must be guilty the question is did they look and how deep did they look how much could they have possibly looked if within a day within 24 hours if not less they are accusing David Crowley of being guilty and saying the public is not in any danger that should raise some red flags right there and it definitely does so closing the case I don't think it's closed what do you think Spin, okay? Okay, let's spin. Ready? Set. Go! Ah, so skinny. Yeah. You don't like it as much as last time, huh? It's fun, Daddy. You like it? Is it fun? Yeah. yeah. There it is. Um, lots of interesting stuff there. I know, kind of, sometimes it's hard to watch that just because of everything that we know. But, um, yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to come back here later on this evening and hope you all be able to join me and we'll continue this discussion and We'll go through the events of January 17th, 2015. Until then, God bless you all. Thank you all.